Welcome to the Black Moon Lilith Rising podcast. The energy of the dark feminine is rising. Are you ready to reclaim your power? Understand the power of the dark mother of creation in astrology, Lilith. It's time for the world to recognize the power of dark feminine energy and how you can use it to heal, transform, and create the magic in your own life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Black Moon Lilith Rising podcast. I am so, so, so excited to have Ruby Warrington, author of the upcoming book, Women Without Kids. I am so, I've just been waiting for this project with bated breath, and I'm just so thrilled that all of you are going to have a sneak peek into this amazing and groundbreaking commentary on something that is highly talked about in our global society. Welcome, Ruby. Thanks for having me, Adama. I mean, it's interesting. You say that this is a much talked about topic, but what I keep hearing from people is no one's written a book like this. No one's, and I'm like, what? Right. But yeah. every, everyone's one of those things. Like, I feel like it's a conversation that's top of many people's minds right now. And yet we haven't really had, it hasn't really kind of entered into the, the cultural conversation in a way that is, um, I don't know, just gives it the weight and the respect that it deserves, actually. Well, you're no stranger to these types of topics. So just a little background on Ruby. Ruby Warrington is the creator of the term Sober Curious. This is another topic that people shied away from. And this was released in 2018 and also had a million download podcasts of the same title. Her work has spearheaded a global movement to reevaluate our relationship to alcohol. Other works include Material Girl, Mystical World in 2017, The Numinous Astro Deck in 2019, Ruby's very busy, <laughs> and The Sober Curious Reset in 2020. She has over 20 plus years of experience as a lifestyle journalist and editor, and Ruby is known as an astute culture commentator and true thought leader. She's also the founder of self-publishing imprint Numinous Books, and uh, Women Without Kids will be published in March 2023? Yes. In the US, it's March. In the UK, it's April. But yeah, we're, we're coming into the birth canal for this one. Yeah. And literally, you're a genius because people that are familiar with the publishing process know this probably takes two or three years mm -hmm. between it being a, an idea to actually getting in, into publishing. So you're way ahead of the topics that are all over TikTok social media, press, and it's just really something that you really just thought of this way before a lot of people were talking about it. This has been a, a hallmark of my whole career. Like my background is in journalism and I was very much drawn to kind of like cultural commentary, social trend reporting, that sort of thing. Because I just, um, I do seem to have a, an ability to sort of sense into the way the conversation is going before it's kind of got there. I mean, I have Mercury and Aries, so that's like thinking a little bit ahead of the pack. Um, and it's partly, it's weird, like I'm an Aries sun as well. And I do think that part of, I, I'm, I'm patient. I kind of like, can we just get to the point already? Let's get to the point already. So I'm always, yeah. and I, I was, my birthday's coming up and I was reflecting again on how like, 
at least three, four months before my birthday, I'll start thinking of myself as that age. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm always thinking a little bit ahead, yeah. which yeah. It, it, it has helped pave my career in terms of talking about these subjects, which are kind of emerging, I suppose. And then, like you said, I pitched this book. I was first thinking about this book in the summer of 2020. So by the time the process, the publishing process is caught up, it's kind of like the the, the cultural conversation has kind of caught up and seems to be ready for it. So it's worked out for me. <laughs> you are a complete visionary because that's, that's something that's hard for a lot of commentators or people to really do creatives to do is to think ahead of the curve because it can be scary mm -hmm. to pitch something that it's not really widespread. It's not the status quo and to break that status quo. Don't you have Pluto in your midheaven as I well? I do. Yes. In to, to the Aries? Well, yes, it's opposing the Aries and it's also squaring my Saturn moon Mars. So I've got the, I've got a cardinal T-square, which is kind of, yeah, that it's weird. Like Pluto is sort of the, it's on the midheaven. It's that North Star kind of energy. And so I do think that part of my career path has been to overturn taboos, right? To dig into taboos and to kind of aid the, the evolutions in society, I think, you know, Absolutely. not to think too kind of like in too grandiose terms, but I, yeah, that's kind of how I operate. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And also the midheaven, because is it conjunct your midheaven? Just or about. So my midheaven is seven degrees Libra and it's at 10. So literally that's the maternal or mother energy. Mm, yes, Earth. of course. So <laughs> yes. Also Pluto rules. It's not Scorpio energy, but Pluto does rule over the sign of Scorpio. And we know Scorpio represents things like um uh, the reproductive organs mm, absolutely exactly. and sexual energy which is life force energy like in its most sort of literal basic form like you can't really actually and 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 yet we do you can't really have a conversation about motherhood and particularly our choices about whether or not we want to be parents and not talk about female sexuality and like autonomy over our sexual beings and where we put our sexual energy and how we, you know, it's all actually tied in. It's a very scorpionic subject. I hadn't really thought about it like that until you <laughs> mentioned it. But yes, yes. You know, when I first showed, um, when I first spoke to my astrologer colleague, Bess Matassa, about this idea, she just went, oh my God, this is your chart, you know? Because I have like moon and Saturn conjunct in cancer <laughs> in the eighth oh, yeah. house. Yep, yep, your you know? moon, yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> I want to say, yeah, it's square, square your Pluto. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. wow. and, my, and my son, Mercury, in a looser square. But I actually know the, the moon, Saturn are very, in a very tight square with my son, Mercury. Wow. And you know, we're going into the Aries, Libra, not only North and South node cycle, but eclipses. Ooh. This year as well, starting July. Oh my goodness. May, July. Yeah. Okay. That's exciting. Yeah. So, yeah. so this is such a major topic today. So of course I want to first ask um, with the fertility rate decreasing as well as more women opting out of having children, what really sparked this idea? Like, was there like a trigger a few years ago or has this been brewing for like 10 years? Well, I mean, this is a subject that I, like I said, my background's in journalism. And during my 30s, I was asked to write on this topic multiple times by various magazine editors. And it was always positioned as 
this is so straight. It's so strange that you don't want children. Why don't you want children? People would kind of like scratch their heads and have me write articles about it. So it's just it's something that's it's a subject that's been following me around, I guess you could say, because I've always been not necessarily vocally, but confidently child free, you know, um, that said, a lot of people asking questions about it, I kind of internalized and questioned myself intensely as well. Really? What's wrong with you? Why don't you like, you know, and the impetus to write the book actually came from a very personal place as I kind of sort of entered my early 40s, looking ahead to my, my middle 40s, and even thinking about menopause, I realized that I found myself feeling quite excited about this next transition, you know, again, which is another controversial subject, the thought of being excited about menopause. But I found, I read a book on the subject that reframed menopause as really the gateway to a woman's second adulthood. It's this hormonal shift that kind of changes your um, capacity to kind of show up and create in the world in a, in a positive, potentially positive way, which was kind of groundbreaking. But looking ahead and realizing that sounds exciting, I realized simultaneously oh, I have zero regrets about not having a child. There's not one cell in my being that is going, time is running out, you should have done this. And if you haven't, you should do this now. There was just no sense of panic. If anything, just a kind of a sense of relief that I had stayed true to what I have always known is right for me. And I hadn't listened to all those other voices. And I realized that I wanted to extend that back to younger women to extend it forward to maybe women like me who had, who had been subjected to a lot of questioning around their decision. And then I kind of zoomed out in my journalistic way that I do and noticed that, well, yeah, the birth rate has been dropping steadily globally for the past century, apart from the baby boom of the 1950s and 70s, 1950s to 70s, when the baby boomers were born, right? <laughs> um, Apart from that little blip, the birth rate has been steadily declining and that decline has dipped even lower um, in the 21st century. So I thought, this is actually very interesting. I've always felt like a real outlier, like this kind of anomaly in my decision not to have children. But evidently, many, many, many women, millions of women all around the world are either having fewer children or they're having none at all. If that wasn't the case, we wouldn't be seeing this steep drop off in the birth rate. And it made me realize that there was this, what I've called an unsung sisterhood of women who were grappling with this very, very important life choice, very conflicted, which many people have lots of very loud opinions about, without anywhere to come together to talk about this, any kind of forum for really digging into the deeper motivations, the deeper impacts, the deeper factors kind of like influencing our, our decisions in this area and our feelings about this subject even. And that was kind of when I realized that I wanted this to be my next book. So as with all of my books, it came even with when I, you know, when I launched the Numinous and I started investigating astrology, it was because I really was fascinated by the subject and I wanted to learn about it. And with Sober Curious, it was because I had been questioning my drinking and I wanted to find a new way to think about that and talk about that. So it came from a very personal place, but it speaks to a very universal place that we're at, I think. Absolutely. Um, it's really interesting because my next question is, do you mind sharing the original title of the book? <laughs> <laughs> so I had some merch, so I figured the question yes. would be yes. <laughs> well, this is the thing. So on it, like literally having that thought process that I was just describing, 
thinking about menopause, literally this title just went like, it, I do this because it felt like it literally just downloaded and it was like there. The title was Selfish Cunt. <laughs> because Which I, I realized, <laughs> well, and <laughs> it was partly that I realized in looking, looking back at age 42 or 43, looking back at my life, I felt so relieved and grateful that I had been free to live the life that I wanted and to make the choices that I wanted for myself. And immediately what came up was, what a selfish cunt. What a selfish cunt to have lived a life that prioritizes your own desires and needs. And then immediately after that was like, well, that's massively problematic. <laughs> the fact that me living a life that feels aligned and satisfying and pleasurable to me makes me a selfish cunt. And then I realized, oh wait, literally, because I didn't do the thing with my cunt that I am supposed to do as somebody who was born a biological woman. So it has, so it was the working title of the project right through to the very, very end. And in the end, um, after much internal wrestling, I decided not to go with that title because I didn't want to alienate people. I appreciate it could be, depending who you're talking to, it could be very confronting and, um, I didn't want to put people off who could potentially benefit from the book, but I couldn't resist using it inside the book. <laughs> um, and honestly, like the reaction I've had pretty much across the board. I mean, I would honestly say I haven't had one person who has said, I find that offensive. I think that women en masse are ready to just say, no, that's not okay. It's not okay that, that living, it's not okay that living lives, the lives that suit us is seen as selfish. And it's not okay, actually, that the worst word you can call somebody is a word for a part of our anatomy that has been so policed, so politicized, so violated, like it's just wrong. And so I think there's some, there's a reclamation of those two words that we're, I don't know, I think we're ready for it. It's like really like, it's giving dark feminine energy because it's just I like thinking that yeah. selfishness is frowned upon. Like as women, I think we're all socialized. Like we have to be cooperative. We have to people please. And we have, we have to keep silent or we have to, you know, do what we're expected to do. And this is really like, you're taking your power back. This is very similar to what Lilith did. It's um, super Lilith. It is Lilith. This is literally, yeah. she was the original selfish cunt. <laughs> yeah. She's like, no. <laughs> no. No. And I think it, it's really interesting because just going back to what you said about um, when you told people that you didn't want to have children, there was just always a response. Do you think that that triggered, and a lot, for, a lot of time from women, do you think mm -hmm. that triggered some... I don't want to say it's internalized misogyny, but it basically triggered their life choices. Like, I think the boomer age, like a lot of them had kids because they felt like they had to. Like, I don't even think sometimes my mom. <laughs> they didn't have a choice. I don't know. They didn't yeah. have a choice. Yeah. Literally until 50 years ago. It was only with the advent of accessible, safe and effective birth control, yeah. safe, legal abortion and access to education and employment opportunities that women have actually had the option. So boomer women didn't really have the option. For some women, that option has always been there. For the majority, it has not. Like reproduction, being a mother has been a biological imperative. And I think that some, I think as with, you know, Lilith is also all about shadow work, right? So I feel like anytime there's like a violent 
response or a vitriolic response, often it's really indicative of an area where there's just a lot of unprocessed shadow, a lot of simmering resentment, and in this case, very right, righteous resentment around the fact of how little autonomy women have had over our lives until very recently. You know, it's really, I write in the book about how the generations of women born from the mid-1970s onwards are the first generations to have actually truly had access to choice. And that choice is still not available to like millions of women around the world. And that choice is very much wrapped up with concepts of privilege as well. And so it's still a work in progress, right? True, true choice in this area. And so, yeah, I think that the, the strong emotional reactions that people have, it just reflects how much unprocessed shadow there is to be processed. Like now is the time that it's coming up. Um, this is my Pluto on the Midheaven talking. It's like now is the time for us to do this work, you know? Absolutely. What Can you name some of just the most offensive things that you've heard from other people? I just, I just, I'm curious because I think a lot of listeners of my listeners have gone through this, and mm. I mean, I know I have my own, my own stories of things. It's say. things like um, you're just so self-obsessed. You typical child-free, selfish, child-free people. It typically revolves around just being selfish, self-obsessed, immature. Um, I was once told by a shaman that no one would take me seriously as a woman until I had children. That I'd always just be seen as immature. I mean, these are. Yeah, these are the kind of classic, classic things. But it's interesting as well. Like, I feel like um, perhaps it's because I just have been quite confident. I haven't, I haven't really had any major kind of nasty pushback from people in my life directly. It's mainly been just a few comments here and there online. But yeah, pe- the, so the things that people feel, the things that people feel um, permitted to say in this subject again to me that's just like women's bodies and our choices about our bodies are still very much seen as public property in some ways you know yeah we're just I mean I think in the times before the 70s let's even just think back to like in the 19th 20th centuries early 20th centuries Mm -hmm. it was just expected for women literally to have like six kids oh more uh, from the yeah, age more. from the age of 16 from the age that you were old enough to be married you would be continually having children either pregnant nursing pregnant nursing you know um basically until i mean life expectancy at the turn of the 20th century was 49 which is around the age that women experience menopause you know and that was obviously not just due to the fact that women's lives were very much about just kind of procreation it was obviously there have been huge advances medically and and societally since then as well but um I think it's just quite interesting (laughs) that yeah so many women used to die in childbirth as well I mean that was incredibly common that was a reason for the lower life expectancy yeah do you um so like how how did you infuse feminism and and kind of reclaiming your feminine power into this book I didn't really set out for it to be like a feminist book. It's so funny. I feel like I went into this so naively, not realizing like how much was there to unpack. Um, I kind of use the way I've structured it. I sort of talk about just my own development from my early childhood upbringing. Cause I also look at how 
you know, the family we were raised in can influence very much our feelings about creating a family of our own and what family is. So my own upbringing through my kind of early childhood development, through my teens into my 20s and just sort of through different life stages. Um, and I suppose just really looking at my life and how I have been socialized as a woman and why it became a deeply feminist book because you can't, I couldn't help but see that so many of my choices, so many of the expectations that were projected on me were the result of patriarchy, basically, you know? Um, and within that, just noticing how much work there still is to be done in terms of enacting true equality between the genders. It's not as simple as like giving women the same options as men. That's like kind of one side of the story. The unfinished work of feminism, I think, is about de um, decentering masculinity or like deprivileging masculinity and masculine values in general. Like one thing that really came up throughout the writing, which I wasn't necessarily anticipating being such a big piece of the book, was just how devalued mothers and mothering are, you know, and how there's a huge a huge debt to society to be kind of like paid in that area. Like, but that means, that means revaluing the feminine as a whole, you know, and it means revaluing caring and nurturing and these sorts of qualities, which don't really have much place or aren't given much value, certainly not given monetary value in our like capitalist patriarchal society. So yeah, I kind of couldn't write this book without unpacking all of that stuff too, you know? <laughs> Totally. I think it's wild that it's it's like the government, actually this global society, um, I think like China and there's certain countries that this is really an issue. Mm. They are talking about it as if it's, if it's an issue, but especially the United States, they're doing nothing to support the women that do choose to have children. So they're not right. making it like easy. Right. And then it's like when women are just like, I don't want to do that. Like I yeah. can't afford it. I have to work. I'm not gonna just stick the child in daycare. Our world is just crumbling. The climate is horrific. The environment is horrific. You all are not creating the environment for people to want right. to do this. Mm -hmm. So all that's going to manifest is less and less women wanting mm -hmm. to do that. So do you talk about that at all? Like all of the societal oh, yeah. crap that's going on that's really also deterring Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, I talk about, you know, the term canaries in the coal mine, like women, women without kids are sort of the canaries in the coal mine We're we're kind of indicative of the fact that conditions on planet Earth generally are just becoming less and less hospitable to even the concept of child rearing and family formation, you know. Um, so, yeah, I go really deep into all of that. And the, the cool the call to action is not to the call to action is not to specific women because specific women are kind of making the decisions accordingly. We're sort of doing our piece in a way by like not bringing more children into this broken system. The call to action is more to, you know, politicians, industry, corporations to enact reform that actually values family formation. You know, the response from the U.S. government to women having fewer children is to ban abortions. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like this is, um, yeah, it's just so misguided and so short-sighted. And um, again, it just puts the responsibility and the burden on individual women to kind of like 
fix this problem of, well, the problem of aging. An aging society is what most people like. China are kind of freaking out. Japan are freaking out about this. South Korea actually has the lowest birth rate of all. Um, the concept is that we're going to have too many old people and not enough young people to care for them. Well, I mean, oh, there's just there's just, just so many issues. The, the solution is not just to have more kids. The solutions need to be much more nuanced and wide ranging and thoughtful and individualistic. You know, it's um, yeah, there's a, a lot. I just think this is this is this is almost like the most important subject that we're facing as a society right now. And it has its tentacles in all of the other big important subjects that we're kind of trying to grapple with at the moment we're in this like we're in a very plutonian time like we've just come out of pluto and capricorn or coming out of pluto and capricorn which is a dismantling of all of these patriarchal domination systems and so what we'll see going forward as pluto moves into aquarius is i hope much many more individualistic kind of responses and solutions to systems change thank you for listening to the black moon lilith rising podcast I would love for you to check out my free horoscopes now offered in our editorial section, The Coven. I also invite you to join our mailing list to receive a free gift, an alchemist's guide to Black Moon Lilith. I also want to mention my beloved tribe, Black Moon Lilith Collective, and that it's open all year long now for enrollment. You can learn more about these beautiful offerings by heading to LilithAstrology.com. So what exactly is Black Moon Lilith Collective? Well, this is my exclusive online streaming platform and community dedicated to elevating and empowering the collective through astrology, alchemy, and the esoteric arts. This content features in-depth video horoscopes, community, workshops, and more. So we dive deeper than your typical astrology app. Not only does this include content from me, but we also have an amazing panel of expert practitioners contributing each month. I hope to see you in the tribe. Do you want to talk a little bit more about Pluto and Aquarius and like what you... Well, it's think? funny, I've only just started thinking about it. I've been in this Plutonian kind of like T-square slash grand cross scenario as Pluto and Capricorn has been kind of like squaring and opposing all of those planets we were talking about earlier. It's been a very, very intense <laughs> period for me, past 10 years or so. Imagine. So I'm I'm personally right? very excited about Pluto and Aquarius because it's finally like, oh God, I can probably breathe a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, you've got a sex, some sextiles trying. Right, to yes. To oh, squares. my God. I'm on deck, but uh, <laughs> for another day. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but no, I just, I, I've, I've started thinking about it recently because in my day job, I help people concept and pitch and write their books, right? And so many of the projects that are coming my way have this real Pluto and Aquarius feel, which is very much empowerment of the individual individual transformations kind of as part of a more collective transformation um just thinking about how technology is going to continue to reshape our world i mean you know i i like to zoom out and look big picture on the one hand we've got this problem of an aging population and on the other hand we've got billions of dollars being invested in ai which is going to replace the need for human beings anyway you know it's like there are already less and less jobs 
for humans, which is contributing massively to economic inequality because so many human jobs have been replaced by machine jobs, right? And we're just going to see that continue. Like fewer, there are going to be fewer jobs, fewer economic opportunities for human beings, the more AI that is implemented. And so, I don't know, can AI start paying taxes into social security? Why not? I think these are the kinds of solutions we might see with Pluto and Aquarius. Maybe they might see mechanical wombs. So <laughs> quite possibly. <laughs> quite possibly. You don't have to do it. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, yeah, these are the kind of radical, radical evolutions yeah. that I think we might see with Pluto and Aquarius. I don't know. I haven't really looked into what was happening globally the last time we had this transit, but like, yeah. It was the oh, I think it wasn't like the Civil the, War. <laughs> So it was the Revolutionary War in America and then the French right. as well, which, right. I mean, that does reverber reverberate collectively. Yeah. But it was the energy of revolution. And yeah. I think right now, especially, this is like, this is a revolution, like you're saying, of the individual on a collective scale. But then it's also a revolution in our, our values. Like Capricorn mm. was such old traditional structured values mm. and the opposite polarity of Capricorn, we have cancer. Mm. And that was, that was a big interplay in like 2019, 2020, we had the nodes there, but I really think that this is now like changing this patriarchal world and, and having us question it. Like I even think, so China, everyone don't quote me on this. You can, you can correct me because I'm sure you've done research on this on the book, but they found themselves in this place because they had the one child rule. And then also they don't, didn't want a lot of girls being born. They champ, that was South Korea, actually, I think Korea, they champion men being born. So now they have an overpopulation of, of men, like single men. Right. And so basically this has been a, a tradition to just squash the feminine and to squash mm -hmm women to now where it's just like they're realizing like oh wait like right. <laughs> actually feminine that like the feminine women are valid they're here like what what are we going to do without exactly. them it's another symptom of masculinity and the masculine being privileged above all and i mean yeah absolutely it's just an example of kind of like i feel like the earth the universe is built to balance, to seek balance and naturally balance itself when things are just kind of let to, left to flow. And all of these human systems, systems of privilege and hierarchy ultimately that have been built to privilege the few people who are kind of in control and who hold the power are create, have created massive imbalances globally. And that's showing up now in this kind of, kind of skewed skewed um distributions of birth rate and things like this so yeah it just feels like there's a massive rebalancing that needs to take place and that in fact I mean yeah it's very interesting with the with the China piece it, it kind of mirrors in a way I, I had a conversation um with somebody as a research interview for the book and she was talking she was reflecting on how Roe v. Wade, like abortion was legalized in the United States at a time when we were coming out of this baby boom and politicians were concerned about overpopulation. They were concerned that the population was growing too fast. And so abortion was legalized. And now we see the opposite. They're concerned that there are too many old people. Well, we've got too many old people because there was a baby boom 50 years ago and now they're all old. Right? <laughs> so now the abortion rights are being rolled back again. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I I would like to see more empowerment of individuals to make the choices that just feel right for them 
on an emotional, psychological, material level. Um, I think the more individuals can be really empowered to not only make those choices, but to really understand themselves and what does make them feel happy, fulfilled, what is going to be the best choice for them. The more that can occur in that area, the more sort of a natural rebalancing we will see, hopefully. Yeah. Um, so in terms of your process with writing this book, what were like the healing aspects of it for you? And then what were the hardest, here I am with the hard-hitting questions, Scorpio <laughs> here, I know. what were the most painful parts of it? Like, <sighs> like the healing and the painful, because I'm, I'm sure this also comes from a personal place, like your own relationships with your, your parents and just how that shaped your decision to not want have not want to have kids. Well, as is as is the way it goes, the most painful parts were the most healing parts, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's often how it is. Um, yeah, it, it brought me into, and this I did, I was conscious of wanting to do this. Um, I wasn't conscious of how it would unfold. I, I, I wanted to experience a real deep reckoning with my family of origin, my relationship with my parents, even my relationship or not rather than my non-relationship with my grandmothers and going back my, through my lineage. Like I haven't felt any connection to my ancestors really at all. That's just kind of been the way it has been in my family. Um, and not least, yeah, my relationship with my mother sort of being the, the prime piece that I wanted to acknowledge because I think even though it wasn't something that I had I'd become kind of like really conscious of, there was an awareness that my relationship with my own mother had to have had some impact on how I felt about becoming a mother myself. So that was most definitely the most painful stuff to really look at and the most healing. And I say that because I had to show the book to my mom. I couldn't write about this and put it out into the world without having her see it and without honestly having her okay it. Like I didn't want to hurt her and yet I knew what I was writing about was deeply personal and quite revealing. And I wanted her to be comfortable with it. And the conversations we had throughout that process were just devastating. But ultimately, like they brought us so much closer. We have a much better understanding of each other and our shared history. And I feel closer to her than I ever have. And she's reflected that she feels the same way too. So that has been incredibly healing for us. But it was very painful to kind of go through it. And I think, yeah, just acknowledging, you know, when you're, when you're kids, life is just life and things just are the way they are. I hadn't ever reflected on what a loss it was to have never really had a relationship with my grandparents, you know, and to never really have had a relationship with any of my aunts and uncles and cousins. And this is all because of various kind of like family estrangements and resentments and things that I just haven't ever had any of those sort of warm, loving family relationships. And it was the same kind of for my parents. And so it makes a lot of sense to me that I wouldn't think, oh, I want to have a family because that's how I'm going to find fulfillment. That's going to be my, my heart space. You know, that family to me has always felt kind of alienating and uncomfortable. And so, of course, I didn't want to create a family. So that helped me make sense of that choice. But it was very painful to reckon with that being my experience of family. And I found myself doing a lot of grieving around that, grieving the thing that I never had actually, which is like a really loving, warm family environment. And so, yeah, that it, it was very, very challenging on a personal level. But like I said, I kind of 
this again is so Plutonian of me. I kind of knew that I had to go there. I knew that I had to confront that and really go to the heart of that and really get into the shadows or it was going to be something that I would just kind of, that would be, I don't know, just a, a pain point for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, I definitely our early childhood, our experiences and some of what you're saying even resonates with me personally. Um, it really shapes our, our wants and desires as adults. Mm -hmm. And you think that, and I think this about myself in some, in, in a subconscious way, all of that was meant to happen so that I could break these generational curses and also really find myself, like yes. find my, and not, cause I'll, you know, if you, if you look at some people that may have like 10 brothers and sisters and a big family, it may have been more challenging for them to feel that resistance to get out of their hometown to pursue a career or a life path. I don't even want to say career, but a calling mm -hmm. to transform the world. If you don't have that resistance as a child, sometimes you kind of stay in that comfort zone. So do you feel that it it's it positively made it's like an alchemist it made you who you are today? If you didn't have that, you wouldn't even be working on project absolutely absolutely like I don't necessarily like the term or the sorry I'm, I'm stroking my cat he's come up to join me but I don't necessarily I don't necessarily subscribe to the kind of everything happens for a reason however because I think a lot of things have, shouldn't happen and they're very painful and they're abuses of power and they shouldn't happen and they don't happen for a reason <laughs> and yeah and astrology shows us that we each come with a unique path I can see all of this in my astrological chart, of course. Um, and I do believe that, yeah, I've had the experiences that I've had, particularly as it pertains to the family I was born into and the culture and the society that I was born into and influenced by. Um, yeah, I do believe that, of course, it's made, it's all of it has made me who I am and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing without it, you know? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I have a lot of, I've, I've come to a place of deep acceptance of it all, you know? Um, and at times, <laughs> gratitude for what I've experienced as well, yeah. Not least because having experienced what I have has given me so much empathy for other people who've had dysfunctional family backgrounds. And I do feel like part of my calling is to help bring people who felt like outsiders for whatever reason together in our kind of outsiderishness you know that feels like it's a, a kind of a signature of my of my career and my work I suppose and I'm and I'm grateful to be a person who can do that because so many people reflect back to me that they're thankful to be seen and to be acknowledged in their experience as experiences that have felt very othering or alienating you know yeah. I, I love how you call yourself a book doula because <laughs> I think that also society, people forget, yes, women are, are in the feminine is creative, meaning, yes, they can birth children, but there's ideas, there's books, there's movements. I mean, someone like Oprah Winfrey, for example, is literally a notoriously child and husband free. <laughs> and she is the mother to millions of people and yeah. ideas and movements and um, philanthropies. And so do you believe that this book can, can kind of start to change people's mindsets about what 
what women's role is as creators. Like, it's so funny. Like, literally, I've gone to so many baby showers. I'm of that age. Like, people just popping them out. That's cute and cool. I'm happy to go. But, like, I'm literally releasing two books next year. I'm like, am right. I going to get a fucking book, sho uh, book shower? And what I get is like, oh, that's book cool. shower. Yeah. Like, I literally, like, I mean, I just went through this process. It's like, I mean, I've never given birth. So <laughs> I don't know if it's going to really happen. But it's 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 a, it was a painful process mm. in that it's something I, I and you like you sacrificed a certain amount of time in your life. You're going went through internal pain and inner transformation to birth these stories. And these are for mm. other people. You're bearing your soul. Mm. Like you feel like this will help change the minds of some society because I just feel like people are still in this like in a lot of women in this patriarchal mindset. It's like a friend is telling you like, oh, I'm doing these books and da 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 oh my gosh, like, let's throw a book shower for you. Like, no one thinks that way still. And it's it's very, like, you're not accomplished until you pop out a kid. Like, you can be doing all kinds of things. And it's like, still, there's still that mindset of the collective. At least that's what I observe. Oh, definitely. I love the idea of a book shower. I think we should start, <laughs> have, I think we should, like, I think you should start, I think you should have one, first of all. Please invite me. I love the idea of a book shower. Because the point that, I mean, you know, the, the, the traditional kind of purpose of a baby shower is to remind a woman of, woman of her community and of the support network that she has in place as she embarks on this challenging and exposing and vulnerable new stage of her life. And um, yeah, putting a book out can be very vulnerable, frightening, confusing. You can often feel very alone in the situation. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really, really great idea. I do. Yeah, absolutely. This book is oh, absolutely yeah. even not just a bookshop, but it's like if a woman, I don't know, she graduates med school yeah. or she gets her law degree or I don't know, she's going on the trip of her lifetime and she finally is able to afford it. Like, I just think that people don't celebrate the like wins of women unless it's they're popping out a kid or they're getting married. It's true. So I'm like, we're still in this mindset that women, that's all women are, are good for. Yeah. And I'm sorry, this, my cat is like literally I, oh pushing my, my computer like this with his my voice. <laughs> oh my god, Larry, stop it! Larry's lit. Let's see, Larry. Oh my god, he, I think he's into this conversation. But yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. Women, I'm your baby. I mean, I talk about how my fur baby. Oh god, that term. Um, in the in the very opening scene of the book, I talk about how my whole life I've measured my achievements against those of women who have had children. And I always come up short because no matter how many things I've achieved, no matter how much work I've done in the world, no matter how much good I've done in the world, no matter, there's always someone who's done all of that and had a child. You know, it's like, it's never kind of enough that I've, that, the, that this has been my kind of offering, that this has been my creative output. So I definitely want us to question that. That said, I do think that mothering is a very specific role that also is actually weirdly, ironically, very undervalued because it's seen as something that comes naturally to women. The extreme sacrifices and challenges that women are faced with in motherhood aren't acknowledged as such. If she doesn't naturally take to being a mother, if she finds it difficult, then she has failed, like there's something wrong with her. And so I definitely want to acknowledge that piece as well. And as for childbirth, I mean, honestly, I do think that a fear of childbirth is one of the reasons 
I never wanted to have a child. I've always just been absolutely petrified by the idea. And like I said, many women used to die in childbirth. I have um, a friend who does family constellations therapy, and she says anyone who has a deep fear of childbirth, there are probably women in your lineage who did die in, in childbirth, basically. Um, and so many women, I think I was reading an article the other day that said the incidence of death amongst pregnant women and, and women actually giving labor has increased recently. And so this is still, it's still a, it's still a life or death situation, you know, Ooh. and birthing a book as much as birthing a book is challenging, doesn't contain quite that same life or death. So yeah. I'm, wa I'm wary of calling my books, my babies, but there, but there are similarities for sure. And I did used yeah. to, it's just, I've become more, I've developed more kind of awareness around that. Yeah. It's, it's, I think in terms of the, what do they call it? Unrecognized labor or emotional labor of women. Um, yeah. It's it's really interesting because in this modern age, after the women's liberation movement and more and more women able, I mean we're not equal in in every position and 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 um, organization across the board, but women are doing a lot more equal to a man. But then on top of it, the women that have children, a lot of them then take on that burden on top of everything else. So it's like women are expected to do it all while. Mm -hmm men don't have that same expectation. It's like, I think it's like billions of dollars of like unpaid uh, yeah, absolutely. unrecognized labor by the mothers yeah. in the country. Yeah, absolutely. And there have been like, there are definitely sort of like pushes towards acknowledging that like in the 1970s, there was a whole movement wages for housework, which was essentially seeking to redress that balance and seeking to give proper economic value to the unpaid work of child rearing basically and homekeeping, which was seen beginning to be seen as actually vital to the functioning of the economy right um so yeah I sort of feel like we're ripe for another an, an emerging conversation around that where that's back on the on the on deck and we're like yeah we actually we still haven't figured this out we still haven't figured this out mothers are massively underprivileged in our society you know I I, I acknowledge in the book that not having kids makes me more like a man like it just means that I can, I can in many areas operate on the same level with the same expectations and with the same entitlement even as a man. And in fact, the motherhood, you know, the gender wage gap that gets spoken about so often is actually a motherhood wage gap. Women without kids earn virtually the same as men and it's mothers who earn significantly less, working mothers who earn significantly less than men, which is a very clear indication that this, Mothering is kind of like the role that feminism left behind, I think, yep. you know? 100%. Yeah. Do you feel like when you, cause I've noticed a difference, like not having children, um, just the reactions that my partner, my partner's older than me. He's never had children as well. And no one questions that decision with men. You don't, right. you, know, you know, when you tell us like, oh, I'm dating so-and-so, da-da-da-da. Like, oh, how nice. Let's see pictures. Okay, great, cute. Like, and they move on. But with me, it's like, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm throwing any friends <laughs> listening under the bus. But of course, I'm like, are you going to have kids? Are you, when are you getting married? What, I'm like, what the fuck? Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the conditioning. This is the conditioning. Like, it was me. And I, I actually had this conversation with him. I'm like, do you notice that? Do you get that? He's like, no, that's straight internalized misogyny that I've never in my life 
said I was like dating someone seriously or right. living with someone. And then the the question is next, are you going to have kids? Are you getting married? Right. Never. Right. For men. It's not. It's just it's not. Like a, a 60 year old bachelor and nobody's questioning that. Oh, good for you. Or exactly. Oh, he's, he's doing his career. He's doing this. But then if it's a woman, it's like, when, what are you going to do? You don't want to have kids. You'll regret it. Who will look after you? Yeah. All of that stuff. It's just what about your it's advice old, for- old conditioning. And what I will say, I have question. I've spoken with my husband about this at length. And he says that amongst men, there is a sense and he picks up and he's a Pisces. So he picks up on these things. He picks up on like a feeling of being less than because he's not a dad. It's not spoken, it's not commented on, but there's a feeling of you're not one of us, you know? So I think that men do experience that, but it's not that people don't have, don't, don't have that knee jerk kind of feeling that they're entitled to ask that question or have an opinion about it or push you in that direction. But he's, he can definitely feel like, oh yeah, what's, what went wrong kind of thing, you know? Ah, so, wow. Well, mine's an Aries, so. (laughs) (laughs) but that's really interesting because it's like more I guess maybe it's like the the boundaries are there to like leave leave them alone maybe women maybe um I think this is an interesting question um so for women who are deciding like let's say like 35 and under because I know Mm. a good number they're like I don't want kids Mm. But they'll get this backlash that like, well, you'll regret it and da, 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 when you're older. Like, what's your advice for them? <laughs> like, I'm not I'm not asking for myself. <laughs> well, it's so individualistic, right? Right. It's your I'd love to sit with each of them in yeah. person and have an actual conversation about yeah. it. Um, hopefully my book will it. One of the things I really hope is that will inspire these kinds of conversations among women. Um around why they're making these choices, why they feel the way they do about becoming a mother, like, and just kind of, I think the more we can talk about it openly with one another, we'll be able to become more secure in the choices we're making because we'll understand why we're making those choices. It won't just be the result of like conditioning or external pressure or whatever. Um, So I guess my first piece of advice would be talk it out, like talk it out with the therapist, talk talk about it with your friends, read up around it, like really question, like, Okay, if someone's saying, why don't you want kids? I, my answer always used to just be, I just don't. And that was enough of an answer for me. I just don't. That in an, I've always been very um, connected to my intuition and my inner knowing. And it's always actually felt um, like an abandonment of myself and deeply uncomfortable to not go with what I know is right for me. Again, Aries. <laughs> yeah. That said, um, yeah, I just think that yeah, the more we can kind of like trust our own intuition and find ways to tap into our intuition, um, the better, because this is such an emotionally loaded topic. It's really hard not to be swayed by the way, by other people's opinions and things like that. So yeah, talk to people about it. Don't be afraid of having the conversation. Ask, ask your friend. If Now I would ask if someone said, why don't you want kids? Why do you want kids? Like that's a, not in an obj- obnoxious way, but just to like, why? Because like, I don't really understand what that urge is or where that comes from. Maybe explain it to me. Like, why do you want to have kids? Um, but yeah, I think there, the, yeah, there's, there's a sociologist called Orna Donut who wrote, wrote an amazing book called Regretting Motherhood based on a study 
that she did around, I think she had 23 women, all different ages, who willingly would say, I regret having children. Like I regret having had my kids, which is so taboo. Like you never hear that, right? Um, and reading that book was fascinating. And it really helped me pose the question to myself, I might regret not having kids. It would be worse to regret having kids. And another conversation I had with a friend um, shone a light on the fact that this is one of only two decisions a human can make that is irreversible. To bring a new life into the world that you will be responsible for, whether or not you end up being that person's caregiver, you'll be tied, connected, responsible on some level for that human being for the rest of your life. It's an irreversible decision. The other irreversible decision is to take your own life. It's life and death. These are only two life and death decisions. So it's not something to be entered into lightly. And it's not something to be entered into because other people have opinions about what you should be doing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> Please Ooh. tell me the midheaven comes out again. Listen, <laughs> the life I'm and death so right at the so end there. <laughs> I can take it. I'm a Scorpio. I always I know have, you I like can. You <laughs> what do you love the most about not having children? Oh, for me... I, um, again, moon in cancer, like I need alone time. If I don't get enough alone time and it's more alone time than, than most people would probably think is healthy. Even I get so burnt out and so frazzled and a day of solitude, a few days of solitude just brings me right back to myself and fills me up again. And the thought of not being able to have time on my own is petrifying. So for me, it's being able to have solitude. It's really important to me. Yeah. Well, it's that water energy. I can totally, yeah. totally relate. I need to go right into there. my shell to like recharge and, and nurture on the inside, you know, and I just, um, I'm a massive introvert. And of course, yeah, my research showed that extroverts tend to have more children. Having children means bringing more people into your world who are going to be around you all of the time. And some people couldn't imagine not having that and would feel deeply lonely without that constant kind of connection with other people great have kids have create beings who are going to be around you all the time yeah absolutely well when is the book available i know right now it's for pre-order yes as we, we record this in in february but um when can people pre-order it when does it launch you can pre-order now and if you pre-order you can enter your details at www.womenwithoutkids.com and you will get a free, like a book reading group guide, which if you are going to read the book with a friend, with a group of friends, as I recommend, because it's such a good conversation starter, that reading group guide is going to be really helpful. And you'll also be entered into a prize draw to win one of my selfish cunt tote bags. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> if you pre-order, <laughs> but the book will be out um, March 28th in the US and it's April 13th in the UK. So yeah, you can mark your calendars and just order it on the day if you if you don't want to wait. Just a couple days before or after Pluto peaks into Aquarius. Oh my goodness! And she's an Aries baby. I've wanted to have an Aries book baby for since my first one. I kind of timed oh, yeah. this one. <laughs> I love it because this is this is like the first. This is like the birth of the new year. In a, Absolutely. In a Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And you're having having this during Black Moon Lilith and Leo. Ooh, which I think is so fitting. Leo so rules over children. Fitting. Oh my goodness. 
the yeah. the astrology for this book is on point. I mean, it lined up with when it was coming out in my publisher's schedule, but I did get to pick the exact date. So I have Jupiter and Mercury conjunct my sun on the day that it comes out. It was like, that's about as good as you can get for a book launch. So, so. And also Black Moon Lilith, because um, so mean Black Moon Lilith is in Leo for nine months this year, but um, Black Moon Lilith and Cancer, we're going to still, when we look at the true, we're going to still experience some of that this year. It was really heavy last year. Interesting. Black and Cancer, while you were doing those deep dives with my mom. Oh my God. Of course. Yeah. I mean, she was right on my, my, you know, moon Saturn conjunction, which it's my mom and dad and my eighth house of womb and like, you know, lineage. So it's like, it, of course it all, and this is why I love astrology. I didn't map it out. I didn't plan it that way. And yet it always lines up, you know, and yeah. it, I find that yeah. so supportive in t going back to the thing about things happening on a timeline that is kind of aligned, you know? Yeah. The universe always, it's just, it never fails to, even as an astrologer, I'm like, how is this correct right now? I know. <laughs> um, so where can everyone find you on like social media and all that stuff? So I'm kind of only on Instagram at Ruby Warrington. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's my social media handle. I've been more active there because I actually... I really only like being on social media when I have something I'm excited to talk about. And I'm really excited to talk about this. So that's all happening at Ruby Warrington. I have a podcast, Women Without Kids, which I created from all the research interviews that I did for the book. So that's airing currently. Um, I have another podcast, the Sober Curious podcast, which is all about my last book. So yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Ruby. I'm so excited to dive into this book. It's much needed in our society to society today. And thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been really fun. All right. Bye everyone.